deserve the honor and all the power. That is why all your children sing. stand and let's have our men come and let's take this service to the Lord this morning. Think about what they're singing. He's the reason we live, but oh, what a reason. What a great, great truth. I'm glad you're here this morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Say amen. I think some of you are froze up this morning. What a joy to be here. Let's let the Lord work in our heart today. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, what a joy, what a delight. It is to be able to be in the house of God. And Father, as Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. Father, you are our reason for serving. You are our reason for living. Lord, you are the reason. And we thank you, Lord, for the joy of just knowing you and the joy of being able to serve you. Father, we come to you this morning asking you that you would lift up your name in this service, magnify the name of the Lord Jesus May there be a special touch upon this place today as 
You work in our hearts and work in our lives. Let us hear from you today. Let us meet you in a fresh way. And we'll praise you and thank you for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will grow. You have called me, I will enter. Lead me, Lord, I will sing it again now. the blood of Jesus. All everyone knows that verse. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can your members would you raise your hand all right this is what I want you to do there's a lot of folk visiting today I want every member to shake at least three visitors hands will you do that let's let them know we're glad they're here today turn around shake hands and fellowship one with another
Jesus. Thank you this morning. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. And let me say it's a joy to have those that are visiting with us today. And, and not a bad crowd for this holiday weekend. But we are very pleased, especially pleased to have our visitors with us today. It's good to have Jim and Jan Ammons home with us. They slipped in on us Wednesday night. And for you that are new, this is a family of our church that's serving the Lord in Nigeria. Jim and Jan, would you stand? Let's welcome them home. What a blessing to have them. And we praise the Lord for them. Amen. And if you don't know these folks, you need to get to know them. And, and they're a real blessing. Good to have Patty's mom in from North Carolina. Good to have Kelly and Yule in from Virginia. And Dwayne and Melissa and the kids in from Alabama. The Goddards have some of their family from Florida. Several folks that are visiting with us today. And if you are visiting with us, we'd appreciate so much if you would take just a moment to fill out a visitor's card. If you were given a bulletin this morning, there's a little visitor registration in there that you can tear off the bulletin. And if not, there's visitor's cards in the back of the pews. If you'll take just a moment to fill one of these out, put it in the offering plate, we'd like to send you some information this week about the church. But we'd appreciate you doing that. Let's pray and you give this morning. Be faithful in your giving. And the Lord will honor you and bless you for doing so. Father, we thank you now for the blood of the Lord Jesus that has saved us from our sins and given us our hope of eternal life. And for all these things, we express our thanksgiving even through our giving. And so, Lord, what a joy it is to be able to give today and to give back a portion of that which you've blessed us with. And we give it not just because we're commanded to do so, but we give it to show you that we love you and we know that the amount that we give is an expression and reveals the depth and measure of our love. So, Lord, we offer it to you today. Accept it as a token of our appreciation for all you've done. Bless now the service in Jesus' name. Amen.
certainly blessed with all it. Could I just, to this morning, could we just get a, 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 a round of applause for appreciation for all of our musicians? We're just blessed everywhere we got around. Could we just have everyone, all of our musicians? Just a great job, ladies. All of y'all. All of y'all. Appreciate all of you guys. Great, great job. Thank you. I tell you what, we're certainly blessed here. If you're not going around and visit, you'll find out real quick. God has blessed our church abundantly and much more than we deserve, but he expects us to do something with it. And I tell you what, we're looking to do that. Y'all pray for the choirs we sing now.
to that day. Someday we'll be with him, our Father, our Lord, and our Savior. In Psalms chapter 91, it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence, and he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall he 
shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. And then it goes on down and it says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. You know, he's our shepherd and he's our father. And I'm looking forward to being with him that day. But you know, even now I know that he's with me and I know that he'll guide me and protect me. Whatever the future holds, I know that he is our rock and our shield and our fortress. He's the rock of ages.
let's open our Bibles to the book of James chapter 4. The book of James chapter 4. And while you're finding your place, let me echo what Brother Rick said about all of our musicians and different ones. Uh, I thank the Lord for them. I have pastored churches through the years where I did everything. I mean, I took the offering. I gave the offering. I led the music. I did it all. I mean, but it's refreshing to to be here and and the Lord to give us all that he has. And what a joy it is to have Brian home with us for Christmas. We miss him and what a blessing. And Brian, he uh, he's in the band at Georgia Tech. Actually, it's Georgia. I better get that right. Amen. <laughs> I thought when he was playing a while ago, I thought, man, and how well he's doing, I thought, but what if he was a volunteer? Can you imagine? <laughs> and then if he had gone to Carolina, he, he would be playing with Gabriel today. Amen. <laughs> what a blessing. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word as we close out this year, our last Sunday in 1999. And as we get ready for a new year, I want to challenge you about the coming year. In fact, beginning tonight, and I want to encourage you to be here tonight. I went through the papers and I was amazed at the number of churches that are not having services tonight. I was amazed at the number of churches not having services tonight or Wednesday night. It's like if you have a holiday, you just shut the church down. And I'm, I, it's always been my conviction. If there's any time y'all have church, it's when Jesus was born and things of that matter. And, but we're going to be here tonight. And of course, we'll be ordaining a new deacon tonight in the services but I'm going to begin sharing with you tonight, and we'll do so for the next uh, few services. Uh, my vision, I'm going to talk to you tonight about a vision. My vision for the coming year. And then, of course, on the uh, 9th, Brother Eddie Goddard will be here. And on the 8th, we'll be having our leaders' banquet. And let me just remind you that if you are a deacon, a teacher, or an officer, and ever, if you hold a position in the church and serve in one of these areas, a department head or whatever, uh, the leaders' banquet is the 8th. That's on a Saturday night. It's not costing you anything, but we want you to be there. It's going to be a very, very special time as we look into the new year and uh, make certain commitments. And then that Sunday, Commitment Sunday, and we're going to be asking for many of you to say in, night, in the year 2000 that I want to do something for God. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to work for the Lord. But all of these things, I'm excited about them. But I'll begin sharing with you tonight uh, things about the future and what we're going to do in the coming year. But this morning, I want to speak to you on this matter of resolutions. Now, oftentimes, as we face a new year, we make our resolutions. One of my resolutions this year is I'm going to lose some weight. I never thought I'd be making that kind of resolution, but I am. And no thanks to my wife. I walked through the kitchen the other day, and she's making all this candy, and she's making all these pies and whatever. And I said, won't you fix something? junk for Christmas, whatever. And she said, this is not for you. I said, well, anyway, for the way she cooks, it's uh, whatever. I can remember when I was 135 pounds dreaming of being 131 pounds. And now I'm struggling. Me and Patty are having a real problem, and we're working hard on this thing. Amen? But uh, a lot of resolutions. But here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about spiritual resolutions for the new year. Look at James 4. Beginning in verse 13. James 4, verse 13. James says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. 
whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And then this morning, for just a little while, I want to speak to you about this matter of spiritual resolutions for a new year. Let's pray. Our fathers, we have gathered here this morning. Our hearts have been warmed through the singing. Our hearts have been warmed through the music and we stop to give you praise and stop to give you thanks for what you've blessed us with. And we're very much aware this morning that you have not blessed us with these things without a purpose. And we know, dear Lord, that if we do not fulfill your purpose for which you have blessed us with all that you have, then you will remove it and place it to where it will be used. So help us this morning to be uh, conscious of all that we have and why we have it. As we stand on the threshold of a new year, we ask you to speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to see and to look at your word today and help us to be able to face this new year the way you would want us to face it. May there be some commitments made in all of our hearts. May there be some vows that will be made. May there be acts of dedication in all of our hearts this day that the coming year will be a very special year for the kingdom of God. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. I claim thy anointing today and I'll praise you and give you, alone give you the praise for what may be done. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask these things. Amen. I'm sure most of you this morning are familiar with the name Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a great preacher in the mid-1700s, used of God in what is known as the Great Awakening, the Great Revival of that period. Jonathan Edwards is considered by many to be one of America's greatest theologians. But when Jonathan Edwards was just a young man, he made five resolutions. And Jonathan Edwards lived by these five resolutions faithfully during his lifetime. Here they are. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved never to lose a moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. Resolved never to do anything which I should despise or think meanly of in another. Resolved never to do anything out of revenge. And resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. I would suggest to you this morning that those five resolutions by Jonathan Edwards would be good resolutions for every one of us. And they would be good resolutions for every child of God, especially as we close out one year and begin a brand new year. When I think about the matter of making resolutions, I am aware this morning that all of us at one time or another have made our New Year's resolutions. As someone has said, the weakness of most New Year's New Year resolutions is that they simply go in one year and out the other. Can I get an amen right there? Another has said resolutions are like babies crying in church. They must be carried out to be good. Can I get another amen right there? Well, as we look at our text this morning, we see that James is talking about the future. In verse 13, he refers to the plans that certain ones had for the year before them. We read again. 
Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. James is talking about future plans. He's talking about certain ones that were saying that in the coming year I'm going to do this, I'm going to go here. But James, as he approaches these plans, he begins to speak to us about the attitudes that we should have about the days that are before us. James tells us in our text that when we consider the year or the days that are before us, he reminds us that there is much about the future that is uncertain. He said in verse 14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. James reminds us that, reminds us that, that we don't even know what tomorrow holds, much less what a year may hold. So he's speaking to us about the matter of attitudes, how we should look at the coming year, how we should approach the new year. But may I say this morning, there may be a lot about the coming year that we don't know. And there may be a lot about tomorrow that we don't know, but I do believe this. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we ought to know how to face tomorrow. And we ought to be equipped to face tomorrow. Whatever tomorrow may hold and whatever the new year may bring, we ought to be able to face the new year in the right way. And I believe one of the ways that we can equip ourselves for facing the new year is by making certain resolutions in our life. I want to set before you three resolutions that I gleaned from our text today. I want you to notice these three things. The first thing that I want you to notice that James has to say to us about is the matter of a measured or a daily measured life. James talks about the future, but he talks about daily measuring that life. Again, look at verse 13. James speaks about those who were making plans about the future. And again, he said, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now, here's their plans. Their plans were to go into a certain city and over the course of the next year, the next few months, to buy and sell and make a profit. And the words go to now that James uses there is an expression, something similar to what we would say. Now, look here. It's like James is saying all of these that are making all of these plans and they're talking about tomorrow and talking about the days ahead and talking about the year that is before them and all the things they're going to do. It's like James says, now look here just a moment. There's something I think you need to consider. There's, I think there's something you need to stop and weigh as you think about all these things you're going to do and as you make all these plans. It's like James was saying to them, you're making all these big plans but there is one thing you're failing to consider. And he continues in verse 14 by saying, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Now James is not condemning their plans. Neither is he putting a wet blanket on their ambition. But he's reminding them of the uncertainty of life. And he's reminding them of the perspective by which we should view about how we must assess life or how life must be assessed. James asked this question, what is your life? And he answers his own question by saying that life is like a vapor. And you notice that word vapor there, it is a word that describes a mist, like an early morning fog. And James said our life is like an early morning fog that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. What James is talking about is the brevity of life. 
He is saying that our life is a very short thing. It is here for a little while and then life is gone. He's talking about how brief and how short life really is. As you look through the Bible, you'll find that we're reminded on several occasions about the brevity of life. Job 7, 6 said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And in Job chapter 9, verse 25 and 26, he said that my days are swifter than a post. He said they have passed away like the swift ships at sea or like an eagle hasten to her prey. He's talking about life being so quick. He's talking about life being so short. He's talking about life being so brief. Even the psalmist said, Lord, make me to know mine end. And Lord, help me to know the measure of my days. And as he asked, Lord, Lord, will you show me my end? Will you help me to measure my days? He answers by saying, Thou hast made my days as a hand breath, and my age is nothing before thee. What are all these writers saying about life? James and Job and the psalmist, what are they saying? They're saying that life at its longest is yet a very, very brief experience. I once heard someone describe our life as the vestibule to eternity. And when you think about the vestibule compared to the rest of the structure, it is a very small part of the whole thing. And when you look at our life and you look at it in the big picture, when you take our life, whether it be 20, 30, 40, 70, 90, or even 100 years, I was at the nursing home last Saturday night and a little lady there and met 100 years old. Even if our life is 100 years... What is that when you compare it to eternity? When you look at the big picture, life here is for a very short time and then it vanishes away. I think about the young people in this room today. They look into the future. Uh, for the young ones, they're thinking, I will never, never get to be a teenager. And they're 10 years old and becoming 13 seems so far away. And some of the younger teens, they'll think, they're thinking my 16th birthday is never going to get here. I remember when I was 16, it didn't seem like, I'd, when I was a teenager, it never seemed like I'd ever get 16. I wanted to turn 16 to get my driver's license. But young people are looking into the future and they're thinking, this is never going to get here. I will never get out of school and all of these things. But yet, the old people in this room look back and they think, where have all the years gone? And we remember things that we did in our life and we say to ourselves, it seems just like yesterday. But then when we began to count the years, we realize that it's been a number, a number of years since that matter happened. And the older we get, the more we realize that life is like a vapor. And the older we get, the more we realize that life is a very, very brief experience. An unknown author has given us these words, When as a child I laughed and wept, cry, or time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I grew, time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on, time gone. You see, life is so short and so brief, and it just seems to be slipping it through our fingers faster and faster every day of our life. I ran across an interesting little thing long ago, well, not too long ago, a fella. He was talking about how it had been proven that married life is healthy, and he showed that stats show that, a, that single people die sooner than married folks. 
So I guess the best way to sum all that up is if you're looking for a long life and a slow death, get married. Can I get an amen right there? But I want to say to you, married or not, life is but a vapor. It is short and is brief. And the proper way to assess life is that at its very longest, it is a very, very brief experience. But from James's word, I not only learn how to properly assess life, but I also see how life must be approached. Not only how life must be assessed, but how life must be approached. I read an Arabic fable of a merchant in Baghdad that I thought was interesting. This fable was of this merchant in Baghdad that sent his servant to the market. And before long, the servant returned and he was white and trembling. And he said to his master, he said, Down in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when I turned and looked, I saw that it was death that jostled me. And death looked at me and and she made a threatening gesture. He said, Master, please lend me a horse that I might hasten to Samaria and Samaria and hide there so that death won't be able to find me. And so the master lent him a horse and, and he galloped all away in haste to hide from death. Later the merchant went down to the marketplace and he saw death standing in the crowd and he walked over to her and he said, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture to my servant? And death replied, that was not a threatening gesture. I was startled and surprised. You see, I was astonished to find him in Baghdad because I have an appointment in Samaria with him tonight. Can I say to you this morning that every one of us, somewhere we have an appointment with death. And as James describes, one day life is going to vanish. He is saying that life is neither predictable and life is neither permanent. I guess the only way to say it is that the only day that I am absolutely assured of is this very day. And for that reason, the way to approach life is one day at a time. As R.G. Lee said, yesterday is in the tomb of time, tomorrow is in the womb of time, only now is yours. You see, since life must be assessed as a very brief thing, no matter how long it is, and since it must be approached as consisting of only the time or the day that is before us, then a resolution that every one of us ought to make, now listen to me, as we close out 1999 and as we begin the year 2000, a resolution that every believer ought to make is that I am going to do everything I should do today and I'm going to be everything that I ought to be this very day. In other words, if there's something I ought to do today, I'm going to do it. And if there's something that I ought to be today, that's what I'm going to be. Why? Because this is the only day that I am assured of. And I must look at my life in terms of how brief that it is and realize that before I know it, my life will be gone. And I must look at my life in the light of the fact that I do not know if I have another day or not. Therefore, I ought to say, dear God, I am going to do what I ought to do today. And I am going to be what I ought to be today. We often say, one of these days I'm going to get around to doing this or doing that. The truth of the matter is, we don't know if we have another day. And therefore, we ought to live one day at a time and live each day at a time. Again, if there is something that we ought to be doing today, then we ought to be doing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? If there is something that I ought to be today, if there's something I am not what I should be, I should be making that right because I have no idea how long my life would be. And the way to assess life is in its brevity. And the way to approach life is in the urgency of doing what I ought to do. In other words, if you're not saved, then you ought to get saved today. The Scripture says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're not living for God, you ought to start living for God today. If you're out of the will of God today, you ought to get in the will of God today. If you're not living for God, you ought to start living for God today. If you're not serving God, you ought to start serving God today. And a spiritual resolution for the new year ought to be that I am going to do today what I ought to do and I'm going to be today what I ought to be. Why? Because you have no guarantee of another day. I don't have a guarantee of another day. I have no idea how long my life will be, but regardless of how long I be, will, it will be, in the big picture, it is a very brief experience. Therefore, I must live this day, I must live each day the way I ought to live. Can I get an amen? And that's one of the resolutions you ought to make. Look at a second resolution in the text. Not only do you see a daily measured life, but you also see a divinely managed life. Look at verse 13. You read the words, ye that say. But look down in verse 15. You read the words, ye ought to say. They were saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But James reminds them that they ought to be saying, we will do this or we will do that. We will live if it be the Lord's will. Look at verse 15. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. If the Lord will, and we will live and do this or do that. They were saying one thing, but James says, this is the way you ought to look at it. In fact, it reminds me of a story of this man that was riding a motorcycle down a country road. And he pulled over and he talked to a preacher standing in the churchyard. And the preacher said, what are you doing? Where are you going? The man said, I'm going to town to sell my motorcycle. And the preacher, being a preacher, he thought of what James said and looked at the man and he said, Young man, you ought to say, I am going to town to sell my motorcycle if it be the Lord's will. And the man looked at him and rolled his eyes back and laughed and mocked the preacher and said, Sell my motorcycle if it be the Lord's will. Cranked it off and roared on down that little country road. Later on that afternoon, the preacher was sitting on the front porch and he looked down the road and he saw this man staggering and stumbling as he came up the road. And the preacher recognized it then to be the same fellow that he talked to that morning that was going to town to sell his motorcycle. And he could see that the knees of his pants were torn open, exposing his bloody, skinned, and scratched-up legs. His arm was in a makeshift sling. His shirt was half torn off his back. His face was swollen. It was black and blue. His hair was a mess. His elbows were bloody. His forearms were scratched up, and little pieces of gravel went his arm. It was covered with blood. And the preacher said, what happened? And the fellow said, after I left you, I was on my way to town, and a big storm come up. He said, I tried to outrun it, but as I was going into a curve, I hit some loose gravel and my motorcycle slid out from under me. I skidded more than 100 feet on the pavement. I managed to get up, but the motorcycle was a total loss. Somehow I staggered to a nearby farmhouse, and as I walked to the door, this frightened woman pointed a shotgun at me. I started running. She started shooting. I ran through the brush and the briars, and I got all scratched up, and finally I came into a clearing... And I found a tree to shelter myself from the rain. 
As I stood there picking buckshot out of my back, lightning struck the tree and knocked me out. He said, I came to, I've been in a daze ever since. And the preacher said, where are you going now? He said, I'm going home if it be the Lord's will. (laughs) Say amen. James is describing here a divinely managed life. And he talks about a life that is divinely managed by God. Notice what he had to say. His words suggest to me, one, that God determines the existence of life. He said, if the Lord will, ye shall live. And he's just got through describing life as a vapor that vanishes away. And then in verse 15, he tells us that all of our future, even our life, hinges upon God's will. Therefore, he reminds us that God is the woman, is the one that determines how long life will exist and when our life will end. He's saying how long you live is up to God. The length of your life is determined by God's management of your life. Job had the same thing in mind when he said in Job 14, 5, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Job said that my days are determined by God. Job said that the number of my months, how long I will live, is that which is decided by God. For God has put the boundaries about my life. You might say behind our starting point and our stopping place is God's management of our life. He is the one that sets the boundaries of life. James said in verse 16 of chapter 4, But now you rejoice in your, in, in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. James is reminding us that it's wrong to presume that we are the masters of our fate. And he's saying that it's wrong to boast in that we're going to do this and we're going to do that as if nothing could happen outside our control. No, James says the simple truth is it's up to God whether or not you live another day. It's up to God whether or not you'll be around one year from now or even one more day. He is saying that God is the one that determines the existence of life. But he also tells us that God directs the events of life. You see, God not only controls the when of our life, he also controls the what of our life. He is the one that determines how long I will live and he is the one that determines what happens while I live. Mark your place and turn to Acts chapter 16. Notice verse 10. I want you to notice an interesting statement there in Acts chapter 16 and notice verse 10. In the book of Acts 16 verse 10, we read these words. Acts 16 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. You see that Acts 16 10? underscored the words assuredly gathering. See that in the statement? And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us. You see those phrase, that two words, assuredly gathering, actually one word. And it would be the same thing as we say, I came to the conclusion. It's like so many things happen in life, like things happen in life, and we finally say, you know, I've come to the conclusion this is what I ought to do. And when he uses that statement there, he's using a word that describes like a jigsaw puzzle being put together, like a sweater being knitted and finally coming together. Paul was saying, all the things that had happened in my life, everything that had occurred brought me to the conclusion that this was what God's will was in my life. In other words, he was saying that everything that had happened in his life 
the hand of God had been upon it and all of it was God's doing in order that his will and purpose might be fulfilled in the life of Paul. What I'm saying to you this morning is this, that life is not a series of accidents. Life is a series of appointments. And God directs the event of, events of our life in order to bring about His will in our life. Therefore, one of the spiritual resolutions we ought to make is not only that we'll live each day as we ought to live, realizing that it could be the only day that I have to be what I should be, but also we ought to say that one of our resolutions is, Lord, I yield to Your management of my life. It's like saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. As Alan Redpath said, the Lord does not come into our life on the basis of a democracy. He comes into our life on the basis of a dictatorship. In other words, when Jesus comes into your life, He comes into your life to take over. He comes into our lives to call the shots. He comes into our life to be Lord of our life, to manage our life. And our spiritual resolution ought to be, Lord, I will let you be Lord. I will let you rule my life. I will let you manage my life. I think about it at a meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Bobby Richardson, who used to be the second baseman of the New York Yankees, he prayed a prayer. It was a very simple prayer, a very brief prayer, but the point, but it went to the point. This is his prayer. He said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. That's what we ought to say as we come this morning. Dear Lord, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Why? God is the one that determines the length of my life. He is the one that directs what happens and directs the events of my life. He manages my life. Therefore, I am to submit myself to Him and say, Lord, here is my life. Since my life is in Your hands, then, Lord, I want to personally get, put my life into Your hands. Lord, I submit myself to You. One of Your resolutions ought to be, Lord, I'm going to let You run my life from here on out. I ran my own life in 1999, but in 2000, Lord, you will be in charge. Look at the third and the final thing. Not only do you see in James' words a daily measured life and a divinely managed life, but also you see a diligently mastered life. The final resolution that I gleaned from our text is found in verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James talks to us in verse 17 about being conscious and concerned about sin in our life. And he's telling us instead of sin mastering us, we ought to master sin. And how one of the things that a believer ought to be concerned about and one of the things a believer ought to be deeply bothered about is the matter of sin. And he's really saying to us that as a believer, we cannot take sin lightly. We should not ignore sin in our life, but we should deal with sin. He talks about sin. Think with me for just a moment. For one thing, there is the confession of sin. What is James talking about? What is he saying? This, what does he even mention the matter of sin? The heart and soul of what he's saying about sin is this. He wants us to realize what sin is. 
And the reason he wants us to realize what sin is, he wants us to acknowledge our sin before God once we learn what is right and once we learn what is wrong. He wants us to acknowledge that sin before God and admit our sin to God. What James is after is confession on our part. He's wanting us to see what sin is and then deal with sin in our life. Like David in Psalm 32, 5. He said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. David said, I come before God, and I acknowledge what was wrong in my life. I pointed out my sin to God. I acknowledge my sin, and I confess my sin to God. What do we mean when we talk about confession? James is pointing out sin. Why? Because he wants us to face sin and deal with sin. And when we talk about confessing sin, we're simply meaning we agree with God. That's what the word confession means, agree. It's like God says, this is wrong, and we say, you're right, Lord. And because it is wrong, then, Lord, I'm going to confess that matter. I'm going to get that thing right in my life. Now, why do we need to confess our sins? Why do we need to deal with our sins? Remember Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Listen to me this morning. Listen to me. God will not and he cannot bless sin in the life of a child of God. He's telling me that I will not be blessed of God if there's sin in my life. He's telling me that I will be robbed of God's best for my life if I do not deal with sin. But look at verse 17 again. Notice carefully what James calls sin. He wants us. He's talking about sin because he's aiming for confession. But notice how he defines sin. James tells us in verse 17 that sin is not just when we do something wrong. He also tells us that sin is when we fail to do what is right. The word sin that he uses here is a word that literally means to miss the mark. And the Greek writers use it in three different ways. It was used of an archer who missed the target. It was, a use, it was used of a student who took a test but missed the answer. But when it was used in a spiritual context, it spoke of a person who knows a certain standard is right, but they fall below that standard. And James tells me in verse 17 that sin is not only what I do wrong, but sin is sometimes when I fail to do what I know that I ought to do. To him that knoweth, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, James said, it is sin. It's what we've often called the sins of commission and the sins of omission. You've heard the little story. A teacher was teaching her class one Sunday about the sins of commission, the sins of omission, commission, doing what you know to be wrong, omission, not doing what you know to be right. And she wanted to find out if her class had been attended that morning. So she asked for a volunteer for someone to de describe the difference between the sins of commission and omission. And one little boy raised his hand and said, The sin of commission are the sins that we should not have done, and the sins of omission are the sins that we should have done. Well, he was in the neighborhood. But James tells us that sometimes sin is not so much that we do what we know to be wrong. But sin is when we fail to do what we know is right. We fall below that standard. For example, when we know that we ought to be in church on the Lord's day and we're not in church, that is a sin. When we know that we ought to tithe, 
When we know that our giving ought to begin with 10%, not 9% or 8%, when we know that our giving begins at 10%, and we don't give it all or give less than that, we have sinned. When we know that we ought to be a witness for Christ, but we never, never speak to anybody about their need of Christ, it is a sin. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know of a better way to get a new year started than to deal with sin in our life and get it right that we might be clean before God. That our, we ought to search our hearts and say, Lord, is there anything in my heart, anything in my life is wrong? And it may be, it may mean that you've got to deal with some old sins in your life. Like a lady, I was reading a story that just this week about a mother, a middle-aged lady whose mother was in a retirement village. And she had called every night trying to get a hold of her mother, and there was no answer. And so finally she called her daughter. She said, have you heard from your grandmother? I have called every night this week trying to get a hold of your grandmother, and she doesn't answer the phone. I'm beginning to get worried. And the granddaughter said, oh, no, no. So they're having a revival down at the retirement village, and I bet that's where she's been when you've called. And the mother said, revival at a retirement village? Why in heavens are they having a revival in the retirement village? What sins could be in a retirement village? And her granddaughter said, her, her daughter said, old ones, mother, old ones. Amen? There may be some old things you need to deal with. But his confession is the purging of old sins and the preventing of new. That leads not only to the confession of sin, but secondly, to the cleansing of sin. That's the objective. To realize what is wrong and to realize what is displeasing to God and confessing that thing, to get that thing right. And when we confess our sins, we find cleansing for our sins. I want you to write down a verse, and I want you to remember this. It's the basis of this resolution. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Can I give it to you again? Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word keep Solomon used is descriptive of a guard. The wisest man who ever lived is what he said, guard your heart. Guard your life. In fact, it was so important to guard your heart that he puts double emphasis on it when he talks about guard your heart or keep your heart with all diligence. The word diligence is a different word than the word keep, but it has primarily, primarily the same meaning. The word diligence was a word that described a guard that was to watch over prisoners to prevent them from escaping. And what he's saying is this, I want you to guard your heart. And it's not so much that you're guarding something on the inside and you don't want it to get out, but you're guarding your heart so that certain things don't get in. He said you want to watch your life and you want to guard your life. And he said you want to be careful of your life. It's kind of like a fellow that I read or a funeral that I read about. It was a funeral service for a woman that had passed away. At the end of the service, the pallbearers were carrying her casket out. They accidentally bumped a wall. And when they did, they jarred the coffin. And when they jarred the coffin, they heard a moan on the inside. And they opened the coffin and found out the woman wasn't dead. She lived another ten years and this time died. They had her funeral. And as the pallbearers were going out, her husband cried out, kept, 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 watch that wall. I will say to you, you ought to watch your life. You ought to guard your heart. So that you don't let anything in your heart. Here's what I'm saying to you this morning. Listen to me. And I'm about through. As we move out of 1999 and we move in the year 2000, 
make some spiritual resolutions. And there are three of them that James suggests we ought to make. And these are the resolutions that every one of us in this room today ought to make. Resolution number one. I will do today what I ought to do. And I will be today what I ought to be. If I need to get saved, I'm going to do that today. If I need to get right with God, I'm going to do that today. If I need to serve God, I'm going to start today. If I need to get involved, I'm going to sign up today. If, I, if there's something I need to do, I'm going to do it today. I am going to be what I ought to be today. I want to make that resolution. Why? Because you don't have... You don't have any guarantee that you have another day to be what you ought to be. You don't have a guarantee that you have another day to do what you ought to do. You plan for tomorrow, but you don't know. Therefore, life is like a vapor. And for that reason, you ought to say, I am going to be today what I ought to be. Starting this day, January the 26th, 1999, I will make this resolution that I am going to live every day. I am going to live each day the way that I ought to live. Your second resolution ought to be, Lord Jesus, I'm going to let you be Lord of my life. I'll let you manage my life. Everything is in your workings and doings anyway. Therefore, Lord, I'm going to let you be in charge. I'm going to let you run my life. I'm going to let you be the dictator of my life. And I will be your servant. Whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever you ask of me, that I'll obey. I want to come and let you manage my life and I submit myself to your management of my life. And resolution number three is I will guard my heart and I will keep my life clean and I will not let sin of any kind whatsoever dwell in my heart. I will keep my life pleasing to the Lord. Let's stand there, feet. Those are resolutions every one of us ought to make. Those are things that every one of us ought to deal with. Those are spiritual resolutions for the new year. Now what will you do with them today? Will you this day come to Christ and be saved? Because you don't have a guarantee of another day. I know that most of us assume we will be here. And I say that most of us could safely assume that we'll be here tomorrow. But then again, just like James says, we can assume, but we can't guarantee. And for that reason, today is the most important day of your life. What you do with God today is the most important thing you'll do this day. I guarantee you today, if somehow we knew by divine revelation, this was it, buddy, this was the last service there was ever going to be. This was the final day for at the stroke of midnight tonight, we all were going to die. If somehow we knew that and we knew this was it, I'll promise you one thing. There would not have been an empty seat in this building today. I'll promise you one thing, the choir wouldn't have got to sing today, much less me preach. Because we would have hit the doors doing business with God if we knew this was it. This was the last day. And the thing about it is, we do not know if it is. 
but we don't know that it's not. This could be it. Therefore, what you ought to do today is what you ought to do. And what you ought to be today is what you ought to be. Some of you ought to come. You've been talking about what you're going to do. I am going to do this. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get saved down the road. I'm going to live for God. You ought to say, today I'll do what I ought to do and be what I ought to be. You ought to come today and make that resolution, that promise to God for the year 2000. You ought to get up out of your seat today and come and say, Dear Lord, I want you to run my life. I want you to be the manager of my life. I want you to be in charge. I want you to be absolutely enthroned in my heart. Young people, you ought to do that. Moms and dads ought to do that. For there are many in this room today, you're a good Christian. You're a good church member. You're a good person. But you've never enthroned Christ in your life. Made Him Lord. Where you come and you said, Dear God, here I am. I take my hands off my life and I give it to you. It's in your hands to do with what you want and I submit to whatever you would want. Some of you ought to do that today. Will you close out 99 by doing that? Will you come and make that resolution this morning? And then some of you ought to come today and say, Dear God, I want to please you. I don't want a thing in my heart. I don't want a thing in my life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked thing in me. Getting our hearts clean as we end a year and start a new year. Make those resolutions. Father, today in Jesus' name, we talk about making these resolutions when really, Lord, they should be more than resolutions. Truth of the matter is, Lord, not a one of us in this room today should ever struggle with making these kind of resolutions. For in actuality, this is what you ask of us, this is what you demand of us, and nothing less. God, today as we close out this year, we thank you for this year. We bless you for this year. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done. And as we approach a new year, we thank you even in advance for what you're going to do. And so, Lord, we ask you today that you speak to us. You'll help us today. I pray, Lord, today many will come and as they close out this year and begin a new year, Lord, may we come and Lord, may we say today, by the help and the grace of God, I'm going to do every day what I ought to do and be every day what I ought to be. Lord, I'm going to let you run my life. I want to be clean. Forgive me of my sin. Search my heart. Point it out. I'll confess it and get it out. I want to be clean. I want to be blessable. I want to be usable. Father, may we close out this year and start a new year the way you would want us to do. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we ask these things. Now while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the choir is going to sing softly. I want you this morning. God spoke to your heart. Get up out of your seat. Not worried about who's looking. That's why I want your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Not concerned about who's coming or whatever. I want you to get out of your seat today. Will you do some business with God today? Will you make these resolutions to the Lord for the new year? That you'll live one day at a time You'll live under His Lordship and you'll live a clean life. Will you do that as we sing? Let's let the Lord get us ready for the coming year as we sing. Come. Yes.
that's what we're saying, Lord. If it is your will and your will determines the outcome, then why should I not submit to the management, to your management of my life? Yes, let him speak to us. Deal with sin. Deal with anything in your heart that is not right. Deal with it. Are there things that you know you should have been doing but you haven't been doing them? Deal with that sin today. For the failure to do what is right is just as wicked in the sight of God as the doing of that which is wrong. Get it right to where we can serve God and be used of God and be clean. As we sing, resolved that I will be what I ought to be today. Resolve to do what I ought to do today. Resolve that Jesus Christ will be Lord of my life. Resolve that I will submit to His Lordship. Resolve that I won't let anything in my life that displeases God. Resolve to guard my heart and to guard it diligently that there be nothing there that would displease God. As we sing, you come. May God continue to work in hearts. May God continue to work in lives, Sherry. Amen. Have thine own way, Lord. Yes, have thine own way. Let Him speak to your hearts. Let Him deal with your hearts. Amen. Absolutely. Yes. Amen. Let him speak to our hearts. Amen. Yes. We're going to sing another stanza. There may be others that need to come and pray. Maybe you're struggling about your salvation. Maybe you're not sure, maybe you're not certain that you'd go to heaven when you die. Won't you come today? Member, visitor, matters not who you are. Let us take the Word of God and show you how you can know. Will you do that right now? Maybe God is leading you to become a part of our church. This is where you want to serve God. This is where you want to be a member to live for Christ and to get involved. You come, whatever the reason, whatever the purpose, come as we sing. All across the building, just obey the Lord. Be obedient to God. Yes. Amen. Sing another stanza. Let the Lord work in your heart. Do it. Come. Have thine own way. Listening to him. Have thine own way. Yes.
stanza while God continues to work in our hearts. Let him speak to us and let him meet every need. Let him move in our lives. Listening to him. You make these resolutions. Amen. Anyone else? You come. Yes.